Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles and will join me in the book of John, we're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to read a familiar passage of scripture and and just ask the Lord to touch our hearts here this evening. What a cool breeze, a refreshment of the Holy Ghost, amen, to touch our lives and strengthen us, amen. The book of John chapter 4 and verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth and and uh, it's a little bit risky to go to familiar passages and pull out familiar subjects. I say that a lot of times. But I want to talk about the power of worship tonight. Yes. Amen. The power of worship. Amen. May the Lord bless you and you can be seated. Amen. <clears throat> One writer posed the question to his readers and he asked the question, Are you a thanksgiver, a praiser, or are you a worshiper? Are you a thanksgiver? a praiser, or a worshiper? I believe that question is worthy of consideration. And before we move on, I just want to say tonight that I believe that there's a place scripturally for all of these to exist. I think it is a biblical principle for all of these to exist. Perhaps one of the most misunderstood words in our, in our vernacular, maybe the English language, but certainly in our church vernacular, would be the word worship. We often confuse worship with uh, the act of thanksgiving and or praise. And again, I believe that praise and worship and thanksgiving, they're all very, very biblical. The Bible teaches us in numerous places that we are to give praise unto the Lord for the things that he has done. We see that reference and that principle that is laid down again and again and again. Some 28 times in the New King, in the King James Version, rather, the word thanksgiving appears some 28 times. We find it in memorable passages that we consider perhaps the bedrock of praise and worship or praise and thanksgiving in Psalms 100 and verses number four and five. Those scriptures in summary teach us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to come into his courts with praise. And the scripture says, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his, and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. When you begin to think about the power of truth enduring to all generations, that means it's not just starting out strong with one generation and then just begins to taper off to nothing and By the time we reach the end of this journey, it's just little more than a vapor. I'm thankful tonight that we're basking in the same power and the same presence and the same authority and the same anointing as our forefathers. The term 
give thanks appears some 35 times, including such passages like 1 Chronicles 16 and 8. The Bible says, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name. And then, interestingly, uh, the scripture says, and make known his deeds among the people. I think it's important that we share what God has done in our lives personally. We're made overcomers by two things, the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. Amen. I'm thankful for the blood of the lamb, but I'm also thankful for the word of our own testimony. Amen. That's what makes our own unique life, mission, and ministry unique. It's what God has done in our lives. Amen. Make known those deeds among all the people. The term thanksgiving simply means surrender thanks to God for the blessings that he's granted in our lives. And, you know, we are very blessed. We're very blessed. The poorest among us in this country are far, we, our lives and our financial base would far exceed a vast majority of the rest of the world. And so we're so blessed. And we really, perhaps many of us, especially if we don't travel outside of the borders of our country, perhaps we're not reminded of how blessed we really are. Thanksgiving, to render thanks for the blessings that God has granted us. It's easy for us, or it should be at least easy for us to give thanks unto the Lord because because the acts of thanksgiving are always hinged upon the fact that God has already done something for us. And so I, I don't know of anyone that, that we couldn't come into the house of the Lord or, or down the highway in our car or in our home who could not have plenty of room on our plate to say, we're gonna give some thanksgiving to the Lord because of the things that he's already done. God has blessed us abundantly beyond what we could dare ask or think. And then there is the term praise. Praise is also something that's most often easy for us to accomplish because again, praise like thanksgiving hinges upon something that God has already done or those things that he's doing in our life. And so it's not too difficult for us to live out Psalms 150. We've done a fairly good job of that tonight up to this point in our service. Praise you the Lord. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet and with a psaltery and harp and with a timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organs and praise him upon the loud sounding cymbals and praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. It hasn't been difficult tonight for us to praise him. I'm just gonna step out here on a limb and, and uh, just assume that not everybody tonight had a good day or maybe you've not had a good week thus far. But when we came into the house of the Lord, you pressed through all the things, the barriers and the obstacles that were trying to keep you away from the house of worship tonight. You just came anyway. And when you walked in the house of God, maybe you were weary in your body, but there was just something about the atmosphere of praise and worship. It was a reminder, the, the songs that we were singing tonight in our praise and worship, they're reminders of the goodness of God. And so it's, it's not long before our foot's tapping. It's not long before there's an amen that makes its way to the surface. It's, it's not long before we just gotta lift our hands in the sanctuary because of all the things that God has already done. Let everything that have breath, David said, praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. 
The word of our testimony makes for us, um, makes for us a spirit of enthusiasm, a, a reminding, a, a remembrance of what the, the things God has done in our lives. Testimonies of healing, testimonies of salvation, testimonies of deliverance, testimony of God just standing in the gap and making provision in our life. Maybe it's not always the fundamentals of bread and water, but God has brought many provisions in our lives. I'm speaking to men and women tonight in this auditorium that's had God make a way where there was no way. Have God opened doors that had before been welded closed by the perils of life, but God just made a way. He's a providing God. Amen. Those things create a desire in our heart to give thanks to him because those are things that God has already done. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's a place and should be a place in every, in, every, in every service, in every worship service, there should be a place that we give praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord. In fact, the Bible commands us to give praise in the sanctuary. And so it's what we ought to be found guilty of doing in the sanctuary. I've said many times, if we're gonna, if we're gonna proclaim to the world that we are following the apostles' doctrine on the outside, if there's a sign in the yard that says we're following the apostles' doctrine, doctrine. When somebody walks in, they ought to find us still following. They ought to sign, they ought to find us with our hands lifted and with our voices raised. They ought to find us with a spirit of thanksgiving and enthusiasm in our heart. Nothing wrong with that. I want to never forget the fact that nine times in scripture, David, just one writer said, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Reminding us that it's appropriate to praise the Lord. I love to praise him. He's done so much for me. Amen. But it is possible to be a thanksgiver and it is possible to be a praiser and not be a worshiper. Amen. God's done wonderful things, even for the most ranked sinner. God's done some wonderful things. And somebody can praise the Lord with sin in their heart but you can't worship the Lord with sin in your life because worship is relationship and we gotta be in right relationship to be able to enter into the spirit of worship because the term worship means something entirely different. Worship simply means pure adoration unto God. There's nothing interrupting that ebb and flow of our adoration to the Lord and his to us. It's not based on an act of blessing. I'm not lifting my voice because of what the Lord has done or what the Lord's in the process of doing, but I just wanna thank you, Lord, for being you. I just wanna praise you, Lord, for your spirit, for your power, for your presence, amen, based on your nature and the fact that you're just God alone and that you're God sovereign and that you're God all by yourself. I just wanna love you for that. Thanksgiving, as I've said, and praise are contingent upon what God has done, but worship is contingent upon who God is. Amen. You know, we had, uh, many years ago, we've had several animals through the years, but one in particular, our, one of our first dogs that uh, comes to mind, and our outside dog at least, and uh, she was just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful outside guard dog. She didn't let anything come across the yard. She just, she just, she just did her job. Just a wonderful thing. 
Well, as time moved on and age began to creep in and health issues, after a while, she wasn't good at all the things that, that we had praised her for through the years, but we kept feeding her. And we kept loving her. She was still so much a part of our lives. And we loved her all the way to the bitter end. And often I would jokingly say to her, as though she could understand what I was saying, but I would would feed her and I would say, now Blackie, I'm gonna give you this for all the things you have done. I'm gonna give you this for all the things. I'm gonna give you this for what you have been. She can no longer fulfill that role, but I just wanna thank you for what you have done. Amen. Worship is contingent upon who God is. It's easy to give thanks and giving and thanksgiving and praise. It's easy sometimes because we can look around us and see the wonderful things that God has done. We can sit down in our chair and we can just think back on a few uh, occasions of where the Lord just intervened in our lives and it's almost impossible not to praise God. Amen. But worship, that worship, amen, says I'm gonna worship him in spite of. I'm gonna worship him despite. It's not always easy to worship. Amen, because true worship says, even though I've lost my job, I'm still gonna worship you because you're God and you have not changed. My future is a little uncertain right now. Amen, my my hopes and my dreams, everything that I was planning on has been shifted and it's been shuffled, but I'm still gonna lift my voice and I'm gonna love you because you're still God. Even when the blinding storm comes, amen, my, my marriage may be falling apart, but I'm gonna worship you because you're God all by yourself and you have not changed. The issues of my day to day, it's shuffled up a little bit right now, but I'm gonna tell you, God, you're still God. Even though my friends may turn against me, I'm still gonna worship you because you're God all by yourself and you have not changed. I'm gonna magnify you, amen. Two and two is not four right now, amen, but I'm gonna worship you because you're still God. A true worshiper says, no matter what's happening, you're God and your excellent greatness has not changed. Whether or not money is in the bank, peace is in the home or I'm being blessed or it seems as though the hand of blessing is lifted from my life. I'm gonna still lift my hands in the sanctuary. I'm still gonna praise you, Lord, because you're worthy. I'm gonna tell you today, amen, from the vantage point of being a shepherd, I've watched people that were excellent praisers and they were excellent at Thanksgiving but I've also watched some of those inner seasons of storms, unprecedented storms but they kept coming to the house of God. Amen, he was God all by himself. They lifted their hands when their heart was broken. They lifted their voice when their dreams were shattered. Amen, they lifted and allowed salty tears to flow down their face when their world had been upended because they said, God, you're God. My world has changed. My life has changed. My life has entered into a season of uncertainty, but you're still God, and you're still God all by yourself. You're still a deliverer. You're still a healer. You're still my strength, and you're still my hope, and you're still my anointing, and you're still my covering. You're still my cloak. You're still my garment. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by those worshipers. Amen, because no matter what they have, what God has done, or maybe what God has not done, or we perceive that God has not done, you are God, and there is none beside you, the scripture says. Now, God didn't say, or John, rather, in our text, didn't say that that the Lord was seeking for those that could give thanksgiving, 
are those that could seek or give praise. But he said, God is seeking a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Abraham, there's many perhaps characters in scripture that we could look at, but Abraham had been a man that we could say was a praiser. He was a man that would give thanksgiving. He had spent a good portion of his life doing that and with good reason because God had blessed Abraham. God had blessed Abraham on so many fronts. It's amazing. Amen. The Bible talks about Abraham being a well-respected man of his peers. The Bible talks about Abraham being a wealthy man. The Bible talks about Abraham being a friend of God. There's a lot of reasons to praise. There's a lot of reasons to, to love the Lord. And so it's easy to praise God whenever the table of life is kind of tilted in our direction. And, and it just seems that no matter what comes, no matter what goes, it's always flowing my way. It's easy to praise God when God is doing the giving and it's coming into our life. But Abraham learned something about worship. Amen. Not only when God stopped giving to him, but when God started requiring something of him. I want to say that again. Abraham shifted and he went to another dimension. Abraham went to a new place in God when not only did God stop giving something to him, but God to him took him to a place where he said, I'm going to require something of you now. In that moment when all the wealth and all the riches could not save that son of promise. When all that God had blessed him with, when everything that God had given him, when he was the friend of God, and when he had the favor of his peers and his friends, and when he was a respected and revered man, none of that wealth, none of that influence, none, none of that could matter whenever God had asked him to go to Mount Moriah and offer that promised son. God was saying, I wanna see how much you really love me. And I wanna see if it's just about what I can do for you. And then on that day, on that fateful day, I might want to say just in human terms, it was on that day that, that Abraham became a true worshiper. The Lord said, I want you to take your son, the son that thou lovest, your only son that thou lovest, and take him to a place that I will tell thee of. I, I, I don't want to make something here appear that isn't true, but we look at this scripture and we read it, and it just seems as though there's not a moment or an ounce of hesitation, but Abraham begins to carry with him Isaac and everything he needs to go to Mount Moriah. And then he said to those that were there, Abraham said in Genesis 22 and 5, he said to the young men, you abide here at the bottom of the mountain. You abide here. You stay here. You've been able to make the journey with me up to now. You've been able to come these miles, but there's a few steps left that you can't go with me. You abide here and here's my instructions. You stay here and I and the lad, we're gonna go yonder and here it is and we're going to worship. But he said, and we shall return again unto you. Amen, Abraham, I gotta take you past the place of praise. I gotta take you past just the mouth and the voice of thanksgiving. I want you to become a worshiper. Hallelujah. Abraham, you've enjoyed the blessings of God for a long, long time and your allegiance to God has never been really tested on this level. But Abraham, Abraham, I gotta show you something today. I wanna reveal something to you today. Amen, you're gonna learn who God is. And furthermore, God's gonna learn who you are. 
because in Genesis 22 and 12, whenever the angel of the Lord come in and intervened in that situation and brought the ram that was caught in the thicket, the Bible says in 22 and 12 that the Lord said, now I know. Now I know. Amen. Job was another man who had no problem praising God. Job chapter one, verses one, two, and three so succinctly describe the life and the man, Job. Perfect, upright, one that feared God and disdained evil. The Bible talks about the riches, the wealth of Job, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 oxen, and 500 she asses, a very great household. Oh, it's easy to praise God when the table of life is tilted in our direction and everywhere you look is mine, mine. Blessings, 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 blessings. Easy to give thanks to God when he's given you so much. It's easy to give thanks to God when you're on the receiving end. But Job learned something about true worship in a single day. In a single day. A single day when everything he had was stripped from him without explanation, without apology, and without warning. But look at the character of Job. Peel back the veneer, pull open the cloth, if you will, after the final messenger left with the news that Job, everything you had this morning when you woke up, it's all gone at sunset. Job chapter one Verses 20, 22, captures this moment for the ages. Job, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked I shall return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And finally, finally they captured this. And they said, in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Just somehow in all of this, he said, I'm gonna worship Lord when you're given. And I'm gonna worship you, Lord, when you're taken. I'm gonna worship you, Lord, when the seasons of life are allowing the tide to come in. And I'll still worship you when the seasons of life allow the tide to go out. Job knew how to be a praiser and a thanksgiver. Amen, but on this day, he learned how to be a worshiper. He learned what it meant to love God when God was in the business of what he assumed was just taking things away. Amen, not just a season of giving. The three Hebrew children, we know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had no problem giving thanks to God. They had been elevated, even in prison, they had been elevated in the king's court because of their talent, their skills, and their abilities, they along with Daniel. They had been chosen to work their way up the ladder of Babylonian success. Even behind the curtain of darkness, God was still blessing them and anointing them, if you please. But one fateful day, their resolve was tested their faith was put to the test. You see, it's easy to praise God when things are going your way. Blessed despite the circumstances. Blessed despite, you know, they, the king had captured them and changed their name, but he couldn't change their character. Amen, favor in the king's eyes. But what will you do now? Their answer was swift. Their answer was without delay. Daniel 3, 17 and 18 sums it up pretty well. They looked at the king and said, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, 
But if not, be it known unto thee this day that thou that 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 we will not serve thy gods, nor will we worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let it be known. Write it down. Send out a declaration. Those three words impact me so much when I read this story. You see, to some, it's just a story that's associated with children's ministry, but oh, it, it's so much more than three fire than three men in a fiery furnace. But if not, these three men, they went from being just praisers to worshipers. In this generation of prosperity, when it seems as though we look around us and and all that most people are looking for is just a little bit more. We may not know how to worship God if God just does nothing. In each of the cases that I spoke to you about tonight, Abraham, Job, and the three Hebrew children, that's not where the story ended, of course. If you're a student of the word, you know that that the story didn't end with Abraham's son being sacrificed. It didn't end with Job sitting in a pile of ash. And it didn't end with the three Hebrew children being burned in a furnace. But it is true that the people of God in these instances and even those that we know, others in scripture and others in our own lives, do face some very difficult times and seasons. But when they stayed true to God, they learned how to worship the Lord even in difficult times. And God brought them through and God blessed them and they were mightier than they were before the storm season started. And so tonight we can look at ourselves and we can assess our own situation and perhaps there are some that are in the furnace now, but they're learning how to worship through the storm. Maybe stripped down to nothing now, but learning how to worship in the midst of what we may define as nothingness. May have lost everything, but they've learned how to praise and magnify and worship God because they have a clear understanding God is not finished. If somehow, if somehow we could have just had a messenger on the side of that mountain Moriah that day to say, Abraham, you can keep walking, sir because it's all gonna work out. If somehow one more messenger could have come from the battle and faced Job and said, Job, I know you've lost it all now, but this is not how the story ends. If somehow one of the guards that were pressing those three men into the flames could have said, I know this looks like the end, but it's really just the beginning because there's a fourth man waiting for you in the fire. They didn't have those consolations as a preemptive measure to what they were facing, but they walked in faith and they continued to worship God. Someone once said, the problem with us is that we, we are seeking God's hand and not his face. We're seeking God's hand, what you can do for me and not just what you are to me. We seek what God can do for us and not really an intimate relationship with him. Or we just seek the blessings of God and not real communion with God. We praise, but we perhaps don't worship as often. And so I ask this question to all of us individually and to all of us collectively. And that 
is this. Can we as an individual or can we even as a church body truly worship God when he's not blessing? Because there are seasons when it seems as though God just comes, steps back. We've all faced those times individually. And if you walk long enough, you'll face those seasons collectively when it just seems like God just steps back. He hasn't left us by any stretch of the imagination. But the question is, can we continue to worship God when God is taking things from us? The Bible tells us of a group of, of priests in the book of 1 Samuel, I believe in chapters 22 and 23, maybe more specifically 23, the Bible talks about a group of priests that were sitting one day and when an, a man by the name of Doeg came upon them and, and Doeg destroyed all of these priests. I believe there were 80 some odd of them if, if memory serves me correctly. He destroyed all of them but one. And one escaped, a man by the name of Abiathar. And in 1 Samuel 23 and 6, the Bible says, and it came to pass, now I wanna, I wanna pause right here. Let's understand the setting here because I don't wanna be too critical. I just wanna make a point because we are talking about humanity here and he's cut out of the same cloth that we are. So I want to be real careful. I don't want to step on a biothar to make myself or any of us look better here tonight. But so let's go back just a moment. And here's 80 some odd priests, maybe 86 or so priests that are there. And, and an evil man, a biothar, comes upon them. And, and all of them but one are slaughtered. That was a pretty bloody, brutal, gruesome scene. And so a biothar, one of the priests, he makes his way out of this bloodshed, of this horrible, horrible event. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 23 and 6, and it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David, that he came down, and, and I, didn't, I didn't ask them to put this scripture on the, on the screen, but I wish I had now. And he came down to David, the Bible says, with an ephod in his hand. Now I think this is very, very important to understand this scene. That here is a man that's running for his life, a priest nonetheless, and he, and he made it down and he fled to David and he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now if you're not careful when you're reading through the scriptures, you can read right past something like this and just keep going. And it may not seem like a lot to us, but I wanna back up because we gotta understand that what an ephod is. An ephod is a symbol of prayer. An ephod is a symbol of worship. An ephod is a symbol of communion with the Lord. And it was not designed to be carried in your hand. It was designed to be worn around your chest close to your heart. You with me now? Abiathar was wearing his worship when things were going well. But when blood started staining the sand around him, he came running with his worship in his hand and not in his heart. You see, God's not looking for people that can just worship him when the climate's just right. I don't want to come to church and have my ephod in my hand. I want to have it around my heart. I want to have it where it belongs. Amen, I want to wear it every day. I want to wear it wherever I go. But see, God is not looking for people that will just worship when things are going well. But God is looking for somebody that can worship him 
when the tide's going out. Amen. I want to kind of show you the flip side of that coin, if we will. I'll ask our musicians to come. That'll make us feel better. Probably even, probably even encourage me a little bit. So let me show you the flip side of this coin. When the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant from the children of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the things of that, but there were three items that were intentionally placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside this chest. And so when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant brought so much damnation into their world. <laughs> and they said, we gotta get rid of this. And if you wanna read some interesting passages of scripture, just read what happened to the Philistines while they had the Ark. When they took it from the Israelites, there were three things in that ark. There was Aaron's rod that budded, there was a pot of manna, and there were the tables of stone. Aaron's rod that budded was, was a sign of the, of the signs of miracles and wonder, power, work and power of God, that God could take a dry, dead staff and cause it to come to life and give birth. The pot of manna was a reminder to the children of Israel that when we had nothing, God fed us every day, every day, every day. And the tables of stone, of course, were the Ten Commandments, the Word of God. And so those three items were in the ark when they stole it, but when they brought it back, when they brought it back, there was only one thing that was left. Somewhere in all of that exchange, they lost Aaron's rod that budded, and they lost the pot of manna. And the only thing that was left is the Word of God. It was as if the Philistines were saying, we're gonna let you have the ark back, but we want some of this, but not all of this. We want the miracle work and power of God. We'll keep that. And we want the provision of God. We're gonna keep that. But we don't want the law of God. So we'll send the law back home. But we want the signs, the miracles, and the wonders. We want that providing hand of God. We want to keep that for us in our camp. But you all can have, you all can have the word, the law. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible says that when the Ark of the Covenant came back into Jerusalem, that David was the one responsible for bringing this Ark back. And interestingly, the Bible says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might and he was girded with a linen ephod. And so here's what David was saying. My worship is not hinged on the times and the seasons of your provision. And my worship is not hinged upon the miracles that you have done or that you will do. But David said, your word, the ark is still worthy of worship. Your, your ark, your power, your anointing is still worthy of everything. And so ever so many paces, David would say, I'm gonna dance before the Lord. Amen, you take away the signs and the miracles and the wonders. You take away the provision. And if all I'm left with is your law, if all I have is the brute force and the bluntness of the law of God, let's stand together. That's enough. I'm still gonna be a worshiper. Amen. David was saying, I've got on my ephod of worship today because we've got the ark. And if nothing is in this ark but your word, that's, that's sufficient for me. If God never does another thing, David said, I'm gonna still worship him.
I want to still worship him because of who he is. And so that's why Jesus said that a true worshiper must worship in spirit and in truth. Because you see, it's easy to worship when things are going well, the spirit. We're excited, we're on the mountaintop, but it's harder to worship in truth because here's what truth says to us. Truth says God can heal, but up to now he hasn't. But I'm gonna worship him anyway. Truth says God can provide, but for some reason he hasn't. But I'm still gonna worship him. Truth says God is able, but for some reason in my own humanity, it just seems like even though he's able, it seems he's unwilling, but I'm gonna worship him anyway. I'm gonna worship him. A true worshiper said, I know God is able, but if not, I'm still going. I'm still gonna lift my voice. Truth, truth embraces 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not just good times, but also in the seasons of taking away. Not just when God is giving, but in the seasons when the tide has shifted, the wind has shifted. Not just when God is moving, but sometimes God stands still. The Bible says of Job that he couldn't find him. Now we know in scripture that he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. So it was just a season of uncertainty for Job. God was there, amen. And there are times, and I think we can, many of us relate to this, there are times when God is speaking and there's times when he is silent. I've lived through seasons of my life that as a preacher, I could hardly pick my Bible up from one place and set it on the dining table or a coffee table or an end table without two sermons falling out of it. I mean, it was just so full and there it was, just something to preach. And there have been times I couldn't squeeze the book hard enough to squeeze one thought out of it. Amen? Now you're being all pious and real spiritual and you're acting like you've never been there. But there are times you open the word and there it is, just promise after promise after promise. And other times we're reading the Bible and it just seems like it made no sense to us whatsoever. Amen. But God has blessed us immeasurably. And what he's looking for is a people that are not just praising for his mighty acts or give thanks because of his blessings, but a people that will come together and we're just gonna praise him because of who he is. Amen. That is the power of worship. Amen. It releases something in us. It takes us to another place. It takes us to another dimension. Amen. I wonder if we could just, can we end our service with family prayer tonight? Would you just come down to the front? Join us if you're comfortable doing that. Amen. We want you to come down and let's just magnify the Lord. Amen. We've all got a reason to praise him and to offer thanksgiving but truth be known, we've also got plenty of reason to worship him tonight. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, 
please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.